So I have a difficult time making new friends. I'm defended, porcupine-ish, a little paranoid, just, you know, a lot of junk in my psyche kind of keeps me apart from other people. And I, I guess I wonder about the issue of making friends generally. Do you have similar issues? Do you have a bunch of crazy criteria like me? Do they have to be tall or short, smart or average intelligence? Do they have to have the same hobbies, religion, gender, beliefs, etc.? What cuts the mustard for you? How do you do it? Is it difficult for you in this day and age? It's not an easy place to make new friends, especially as an adult. So today, I'm going to talk to Sam Lamont about what it was like to build our friendship. And it wasn't easy. It was slow. It took several years. Coupled with that, it, there was this impossible confluence of events and projections that needed to occur for us to get to know each other on any level. So together, we look at some individual experiences that we were both having as we were getting to know one another, and some of the weird projections we had that we're just finding out about now, which is strange. And of course, the cool thing is that in the interview itself, we get to know each other better, and I imagine we become better friends. In the course of the podcast, we're also going to talk about other forms of relationships, such as heartbreak, mentorships, father figures, and something not quite related about the fact that Sam and I both share extreme self-image issues. Maybe that's why we're friends. Who knows? Maybe friendship comes about when you have a lot of, well, dark things in common, shadowy things in common. I don't know. Anyway, this is also a two-part series looking into my new business partnership with Sam and his best friend, Reese. So the next interview is going to be pretty invasive. I'm going to talk to that guy. That's going to be in about a month. So stay tuned. I'll interview Reese, who I don't know at all. Well, I barely know him. And so I'm going to pepper him with a bunch of questions and decide whether or not he and I can be friends. No, just just kidding. I mean, we're already, we're already on good terms, but you know what I mean. So that's the episode. Friendship. What's it about? How do you make them? How do you vet? You know, what do you do? What's that like? What's it like to get to know a new person? Anyway, my name is Benjamin Russick, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. This is a big day for me. This is the first podcast I've ever done on a couch. <laughs> really? No, uh, the comedian Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes. We did that on his couch. That was weird. Why was that weird? I just, couches? A blank stare from me. What? what I don't know. Yeah, couches. I always do it at kitchen tables. Ugh, kitchen tables are the worst. Yeah, you got to sit upright. We are sitting upright. I speak for yourself. Do you want to move this whole operation to the dumbass no, kitchen no, table? No, I'm committed. Let's do it this way. <laughs> this is the only way to go. I, I love th the idea that I'm not responsible for the recording or how it goes. I'm yeah. Just chilling in a couch. That must be nice. Yeah, I had this opposite experience when I was on your podcast. I'm like, oh my God, I could sink my career in one sentence right now. <laughs> <laughs> But you didn't. I didn't. I People didn't. liked that episode. They did. They liked yeah. the episode. They even liked the clownish photograph of me with my big Jew hair. But any photo of you would be clownish to you, Jew if we're honest. Sam um, knows Ben pretty good. I, I know the Ben <laughs> behind the Ben. The Ben behind the Ben. Yes, I, I do have a bit of body dysmorphia. but uh, Me too. You know, that's why I have well-made tattooed on my hands. That doesn't give you body dysmorphia? Like looking at letters on your fingers doesn't like freak you out? Well, I hated my hands anyway. So it, it could only improve my opinion of my hands. I had extreme body dysmorphia. Like intense. Like I, We, now that we're in business together, are going to make a mirror one day mm -hmm. that we sell. Like a little hand mirror. And oh. It's going to say... You won't be able to really see yourself in uh -huh. it because there'll be writing on it that says, let's be friends Aww. on the mirror. Because uh, mirrors were my enemy. Reflections were my enemy. Mm -hmm. I wrote a piece about it called Mirror, Mirror. The piece was all about like, I have no opinion. That was sort of your first step if someone asked you how you felt about yourself. 
I started with no opinion. And so it went from, I hate myself, my eyes are too big, my eyelids are too big, my chin is too small, whatever. I, I, you know, I could just go down the list. Every single body part, I could tell you what was wrong with it. Yeah. To, I have no opinion on this. To, a little slightly warmer. I started posting a lot on Instagram. I had like a couple years mm -hmm. where I posted like an influencer. That was therapeutic in a way, which is funny because I don't think Instagram is that good for you or posting every day is that good for you. But I think in extreme cases of body dysmorphia, it might be to see yourself on camera, get used to how you look. It's so interesting that you mentioned this because the video that we did a couple weeks ago at our new studio, at Square One Studios in San Anselmo, I remember I had lost a little bit of weight that week and I was wearing this shirt that sort of like had the short sleeves and kind of clung to my shoulders a bit. And I remember looking in the camera and thinking, oh, I don't want them to see my belly. So I kind of leaned forward and kind of thrust my shoulders forward. So I looked more kind of tough and robust, I guess. And it worked. And I got all these comments. The majority of comments I got from people was, oh my God, Ben, you look so good. Now, they didn't mean to say, oh, you look like you've lost some weight. It was more like, oh, you look good in that shirt and those jeans. I, I got dozens of comments like that. And it was sort of affirming my own insanity, which is unfortunate. But I didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. mind. <laughs> well, what does look good on video sometimes looks ridiculous in person. So there's a bit of that. Well, maybe I look good on video only. Yeah, well, you know, that's better than not looking good on video. You know, of all the talk of different types of privileges, mm -hmm. right? Like the wealth privilege or mm -hmm. white privilege or male privilege or mm -hmm. all this stuff. I am amazed nobody's touched the pretty privilege because I growing up kind of a weird looking kid and then I got handsome. If, if you're allowed to say that. You are. You're a handsome man. Thank you. I think so. Most, most times now too. But I saw the exact way you are received in this world in both forms. Yeah. It's mind-boggling when i uh lost weight i was i used to be like 300 pounds i went through two weight loss periods and one when i was a teenager and i lost about 50 or 60 pounds which made a bigger difference because i was younger and shorter and smaller and stuff and a teenager and you get better directions from people on the street get better service in restaurants when you make eye contact with people their eyes stick out just for a second or two longer like you notice it because you've spent your whole life people just sort of looking at you and kind of like Ugh. you don't realize they're looking away and kind of this disgust something was definitely different it was remarkable pretty privilege pretty privilege what do you want to talk about, Ben? Are you going to introduce me? Should I introduce myself? Um, Sam, who are you? Uh, my name is Sam Lamont. A couple of roles I play. I'm a dad. I'm a son. I like to describe myself as a teen dad, ex-meth head, college dropout. I really think I am know-nothing, nobody from nowhere at the end of the day. I just am a person. I like myself most days. I try to take the small bits of inspiration I get and actually materialize things with them, which might mean if I'm feeling like drawing, I'll draw. Or if I'm feeling like creating something creative, I'll create or build. I have a bunch of weird skills that I enjoy. Just another human trying to find his way on this journey. We met three years ago, four years ago? Yeah, at, at least. Yeah, yeah. so we have, a, we have a mutual friend, Charlie Van Leuven in the addiction field and he and i were kind of like business partners and friends at the same time i did him a lot of favors he said to me once he said ben you did more for me in a month than anyone has done for me in th five years so he continuously sends me good things and one of the things he sent me was you because i was talking about i wanted to make a podcast i had no, I had no idea what i was doing and charlie said well i know this guy who does podcasts and i said oh cool can you give me his contact and 
So we met up in the mission, some cafe, and you sat down and told me exactly what to purchase and how it all hooked together. It was a very no-nonsense conversation. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this guy really knows what the fuck he's talking about. I could tell because you you didn't look like you were enjoying the conversation, which must have meant you knew what you were saying. I didn't look like I enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> Not particularly. This you is looked, the first I've ever heard of that. You looked tired. You looked tired. And, and I don't know. I, I think you were, a, energetically, you were a very new species of human for me at the time. I was like, this is a really interesting guy. Like, I have no idea what he's thinking or what he's feeling at all. So he must, maybe he must not like me or he must not like being here. That's no, my That's, that's my own neurosis. Shit. Of course it's neurosis, Sam. I was enjoying our conversation just fine were you okay yeah that's that's good that's good well i I, that's my it's like body dysmorphia but i'm also i'm also i you know you get you get told you're 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 a fat idiot for most of your life you start to believe it so you start to assume that if you don't get a smile and a twinkle within the first 30 seconds that someone's like wants to axe murder you basically (laughs) i can't believe after all the time we've hung out Uh uh-huh this is the first time hearing that you thought I didn't like you. Well, the- I didn't think you didn't like me. Or was I, not interested. You were, I felt like it was just sort of like, okay, this is all business, which I respected. This is the thing. I, I'm I'm a defensive person, okay? I'm a bit of a prick. So it's sort of like the guilty until proven innocent shit. I assume that someone doesn't like me until it's proven otherwise that they do. It's very black and white for me because I'm so insane. It's like the people not making eye contact with you thing. Like I had no social skills when I was a fat kid, right? Just to go deep for a second, since you asked. And so you just sort of grew up in this environment where you assume people just don't like you and that you don't connect. And not that that's a terrible thing, but just like this is what reality, this is what normal behavior is. So to this day, I'm always surprised when I hear one of two things. A, that I'm good looking or attractive in any way, or B, that I'm likable or charming. It's just every single time it surprises me. So that's where that's coming from. But then what'd you make of, so you would text me and I'd, I'd respond to you right away. Um, some, I, some obligation? Uh, that's a good question. So let's walk through that. So I was like, wow, this is a really interesting dude and I would like to get to know him better. But he strikes me as somebody who is very particular about who he spends his time with. And this that's is a, true. Okay. But that was also my projection. So it, it was like a stop clock is right twice a day. You know, so it was yeah. like, I just happened to be right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be very respectful of this guy's boundaries because I don't know what they are. I would like to build a relationship with him. He seems really interesting, but I've got to be careful here. And so I'm going to ask him questions pertaining to podcast stuff. And no, you would not respond right away. It usually would take you a day. Well, that's right away for me. Okay. And in my world, it's not, but I also respect the fact that different people have different, right? Yeah. So, and I'm like, oh, he takes a day. That's cool. That's his pace. Awesome. Do I still take a day? No, you're much faster now. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you take a while, but I think you're not as possessed of of your phone as I am. Was this when I was like, my life was falling apart? I don't know if your life was falling apart. My understanding is, is that you were in, you told me that you were in an incredibly deep depression. This is afterwards when we we started to get closer as friends. You're like, yeah, Ben, I was in a really deep depression. Your words were, you stuck by me while I was in this really terrible place. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was doing that because I didn't know you were really depressed. I just knew that you were kind of distant and seemed and seemed somewhat defended and private. And I was like, okay, I'm going to really respect this guy's boundaries. And if he opens the door a little bit, I'll, I'll walk through. But if not, that's fine too. Yeah. Interesting. I remember, so this is the thing. So I won't say I was grooming you, but I kind of was like, well, how do I, like, as I had real questions, I asked you once a question about um, whether or not I should outline episodes. Okay. And then what you did was you sent me a voice memo 
to my phone saying, hey, this is a really interesting question. I hear this a lot. You didn't want to put it in a text. You didn't want to call me. So it was like this in-between thing, but it was definitely a switch. Like, oh, this is really cool. That was really helpful. And so I would just hit you every six to eight weeks, I think, with a tech question. And I knew it was six to eight weeks too, because I didn't want to seem like I was bothering you. Wow. And then at one point, somehow I had a larger question and somehow I think you said, well, maybe we should have a phone conversation. And I said, that would be awesome. And so we scheduled a phone conversation, which I was really excited about. Like, oh, wow, I get to talk to him on the phone. Maybe he's, maybe something's switching a bit. This is to show you how like conscious I am of all this stuff because I'm just not good at making new friends because I'm so defended. I know that whatever neurosis that I'm dealing with in myself is coupled by whatever neurosis I may encounter. So I know that the problem of meeting the new person is in effect doubled. <laughs> Which in my case is a lot. But I didn't, I just assume it, right? Oh, Charlie didn't tell you? No. One time Charlie told me I am the most unstable person he knows. <laughs> Well, instability was one thing, but also I have like this neurotic projection that I think people don't like me. And I assume that also people are the way I am, which is very defended. You know what I'm saying? Do you still do that? All the time. That sounds like a lot of work. It does. Like a lot of extra work. Yes. Unnecessary work. Terrible work. I need a therapist. I need to be cured. I need the right drugs. Who knows? But the point is, we had this conversation. And I remember in the conversation, you were talking about this website that you wanted to build. We kind of, They kind of branched off and you and you wanted to build some larger more expensive website, but you couldn't afford it. And I, yeah. and I remember I said, Sam, you know, I would be happy to throw down a thousand dollars towards that. And it stopped you. Like I could tell like something like it was like, there was a seismic shift in your perception of something or other. You're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I would totally do that. I would invest in you. You're amazing. I'll tell you exactly what you said. Okay. You said, Hey, you know, if you do the legwork and make a GoFundMe, uh -huh. I'll contribute whatever it was. Yeah. A thousand bucks or yeah. And I was just, yeah, just blown away. Why were you blown away by that? Um, I guess talking to you now, it's very interesting to hear how meaningful certain moments were to you. Mm -hmm. Like I, I knew I was helping you make a show. And what I was really doing is when I wanted to create a show, I had somebody who answered all my questions. Mm -hmm. And so I was really just kind of like, hey, like, well. Pay it forward. Yeah, it was just kind of like you had this happen and who are you to withhold it's kind of like mm -hmm. recovery you know mm -hmm. yeah like, this came freely to you right and in your case it was kind of a good journey you went on and i think that podcasting is is a terrible journey as a career and a great journey as a spiritual tool one thousand percent whenever somebody says i have a show and it's for broad audience i'm like stop the algorithm's done that's yeah. not what we're doing anymore yeah what we're doing is this is a tool to capture yourself mm -hmm. and your journey mm-hmm it's a diary on steroids if you do it right, if you're open and honest and real. I would agree with that. Anyway, I would get back to the subject. So when you said, yeah, I'd contribute a thousand bucks, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that somebody would put a value on our transaction at that high. Really? Yeah. But you had thousands of followers and all this stuff. Why, why wouldn't you think that? Um, I mean, your podcast is really popular. I just, I guess I was just caught off guard at how, uh, there's people who tell you that they believe in you and then there's people who show you that they believe in you and that was like a moment where you're like oh yeah like i really really believe in you mm -hmm. and i guess i was just kind of yeah stop at that you know to give people listening like a little bit of background i have this thing which i think is a reoccurring thing either way just before covid came out it was going into january 2020 we have some of the biggest guests my show would have ever had lined up Mm -hmm. with a date attached to them and the show has more listeners than it's ever had and things are just going great and i just collapse into this like horrific depression like 
I have depression, and I, we can get into that in a bit of what that looks like to live with clinical depression. But this was like compounded with a real physical sickness. Whether it was psychosomatic or not, I'll tell you, it didn't feel psychosomatic. I thought I was dying. You know, when your star is rising, you're getting calls from people, and there's a lot of people interested in you. You know, like people want to be in your realm. They want some of that magic to rub off on them. And then mm-hmm. when you fall off or the momentum stops or you start fading in relevance, a couple of people will stay in touch, but then your world get, gets very quiet. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's like mid dark night of the soul and here you are going like, oh yeah, I chipped in a thousand bucks. And it was like, but my my momentum is gone and my oh, I see. star has crashed and like, so I unwittingly stepped into a massive projection, into a massive neurotic construct without knowing it. Yeah, you know, there's other stuff going on too. Like I have been completely let down by the older men in my life for the most part. Mm-hmm. I have a couple who are great, but my dad really let me down. And like, you know, I had some bosses who I really wanted to be like mentors. So, you know, as somebody who has that father stuff to have somebody, are you 10? 10 years older than me i'm 47 it's 15 years so okay so to have somebody 15 years older than you who's man who's got a interesting life got his life together to just be like hey i believe in you like that's you know that's gonna be meaningful and especially if i want to give that back one day hopefully and anytime a older man who's successful not monetarily but kind mm-hmm. of in life you know shows me that they believe in me yeah there's there's a debt that still is not paid i see in my life you know, because my dad abandoned me or because, you know, there's just no man around all the time as mm-hmm. a kid. So mm-hmm. there's like, there's just something extra special about that. Oh, cool. Yeah. There's an inherent hunger for yeah. the father. I had no idea you saw me that way. You know, in a lot of ways, we're friends and we're peers, but there is also that element. When you basically said like, hey, like, I want to get into business with you. Yeah, there there is that multiplier mm-hmm. that you're, you're older, you've been around, you've seen more idiots more scammers more bad investments and then to still want to jump into business with me mm-hmm. is meaningful that's yeah. meaningful to me oh great so it's like an alignment of archetypes that worked out yeah yeah it's not it's not so simple because like when you and me shoot the shit we're definitely shooting the shit as right. just a couple of knuckleheads sure you know i often talk about that with couples that there's this dark dance i call it that they, i call it trauma dancing which is kind of a I don't know if I like that term, but when people's darknesses don't work together, like let's say one person has a anger issue and the other person is easily destabilized, then they'll get together and they'll trigger each other, right? Yeah. How about a somebody with abandonment issues and somebody who who's an avoider? Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Every relationship. Complementary opposites can work well together. Um, I think an easier example than the one you gave would be you and I could not be we're very different, I think. You have a lot of precision. You look at design and physicality in a way that I don't understand. So you'll make comments about things and I'm like, what? Normally I could go like, fuck that, he's full of shit. But what I know is that you are way more advanced in this area. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to Sam because Sam knows what the F he's talking about when it comes to those types of things. Like He knows it was so much better than I do. You understand color and design. And he was making comments about my, my apartment earlier not being clean enough, which is true. And out of love. Out of love. Out, out of, of pure love. love. And, and uh, to be fair, because people can't see, the apartment is fine and lovely, but... <laughs> but you know, I just thought 
could use that, you know, that a deep clean. You Sam, know that Sam has a vested interest in finding me a female companion, and he knows that should one happen to grace the premises of this abode, they w- might be rebuffed by. I don't the- have a vested in- interest in that. Actually, that would be terrible for me if you had a, a partner. You, you would have no time then because you work all the time. Well, what do you have a vested interest in? I just think you'd be you're a catch, you know. <laughs> and but you don't want me to be caught. <laughs> well, it's not that I don't want you to be caught. I'm just, I recognize that if you were to fall in love with somebody, you know, I'd see you less or hear from yeah, you. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, but I also think that you're just like a a good catch. You're, Strong, sweet, kind, smart. Oh, stop. So anyway, look, back to our sort of growth together. After that incident on the phone, then you invited me up a few weeks later, or a few months later, I don't know when it was, to to come to one of your to your studio in Fairfax and watch what you do. And was this at the Indie Alley? Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. place was cool. Huh? It was, yeah. yeah. You showed me a lot of things that I didn't end up using, but it was more like I knew going up there that I was investing in getting to know you. I, even though it was at 10 a.m. in Fairfax, which is a terrible time to be in Marin County. Well, all time is terrible in Marin County, in my opinion. But I went to Marin County. After that, I think it was there was another invite. It, I think it was I came up and you put you plopped me down in front of the camera and did this and asked me a bunch of crazy questions about therapy and. Oh, you helped us when when we were testing our video equipment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the video that we made, hopefully, that was after my birthday, though. Was it? Yeah. No. So how was, do you, how no, do you justify in your twisted little mind <sighs> that everyone hates you? How do you justify getting invited to my birthday if we weren't that close? Well, hold on. No, 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 no. The birthday was after this. I have I have the video, and no. you reference the apple fritter in the video. No, 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 yes. no, no. You're wrong. Yes, you do. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. There was two videos. There was the interview that we had, and before that, the apple fritter was referenced in the in the big interview that we did. That when I was on your show, there was another interview where I came in wearing my quote alcoholic T shirt, and you were asking me lots of really edgy questions about whether or not I would like I wanted to sleep with my patients, which of course is I do not, and it's illegal. And you were like, I'm going to ask you all the wrong questions, Ben. That was that interview, and the apple fritter had not even come into it. I'll have to refer back to the tape. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. I am. That's okay. 1,000% not. I will lord over you on this later. Anyway, um, so then, yeah, yeah, I got invited to your birthday. And I think there was another time when we hung out. The point is, is that you, there was a point where you kind of said to me, Ben, I'm putting you on my friend list. I don't remember how you put it, but I was kind of like, really? Like, wow. I have no memory of that. I, but I remember it distinctly because it's like, who does that? Who? And you, I remember you showing me your, your contact list on your phone. You have like seven people on your phone. I think you call it your shit list. No, and I don't call it the shit list. I, what, do you, what do you call it? I don't, I don't know what I call you it. Have, I do have a small group. You had a deprecating name for it, which no, I thought was funny. Um, that comes from when I was newly sober, I ended up with a couple guys. Eddie Cola and D. Young V, incredible street artists. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason, I was newly sober. They weren't, but I ended up going out a couple nights a week doing street art with these guys. D. Young V was 10 years older than me. Eddie Cola was 20. And these guys made sobriety fun. Mm-hmm. And then at one point, um, talking to Eddie, who's the patriarch of the group, really, he's like the most famous artist of the group and most authority. And we were talking about Dave because Dave's total weirdo. The first time I met him, he lied to me and everyone in the room that he used to be, he was in astronaut training. And then if you compare notes with other people that know Dave, he will have told some strange, elaborate story like that. He's just a weirdo and he loves to do this. And so people will be like, yeah, well, did you know Dave was, you know, at Houston training to be an astronaut or whatever? So the myth of, uh, of him gets bigger. It's very fun for him. 
But anyway, we're Eddie and I were talking about Dave, and he's like, yeah, you know, you could meet a thousand guys. You wouldn't meet a guy as kind and loyal as Dave, kind of justifying how they became such good friends. That was meaningful to me. And so, yeah, you know, as somebody who's been pretty screwed over by friends at, when I was young, there's somebody who I feel like, oh, yeah, they're honest and they're, they're kind and they're, mm-hmm. they got some quality that's got a deep level of goodness. It really doesn't matter if they're cool or if the world thinks they're cool or if they're stylish or they have a lot of social credit. Yeah, uh, You're looking for these like more foundational things and then the friendship will really please you if it's not about like putting together the coolest group you can mm-hmm. or like the group that looks the best or the group that is like the hottest thing in the rooms that you go to whether right. it's, which is how i feel like a lot of us organize our friends yeah but if you just organize it on like who's gonna pick up the phone i went to jail too one time and you'd be amazed at how many of your quote-unquote friends <laughs> aren't there <laughs> when you need help getting bailed out of jail i have not experienced that yeah well it's not too late <laughs> you know i had a projection on you actually um not a father thing but more like admired you like i thought like wow this guy makes a living off of podcasting That's barely regardless yeah you were bigger than life to me you know you you had a book out there and you were like you were interviewing Brene Brown for God's sakes I mean and, I, and the thing is I had been in the psych world for a long time so the people you interviewed I would hear about and like I would hear these you know how amazing these people were and suddenly you're just interviewing them like they're your pals and Tim I was intimidated by you frankly I was like this guy is big time and I don't even like why <laughs> little would he, did you know little did I know but like why would he why would he waste his time with me because I have an, inf- an built-in inferiority complex so I'm always putting people on pedestals that's another part of my thing so to have you say oh by the way this is you on my little my group I've got my Reese you know you my mom and my son and I'm like I'm in, I'm in there with your son with your family like what the fuck this guy what what's going on this makes no sense in that moment it was like a cognitive dissonance that was like I felt like my brain was sort of going crunch I, I don't know what was going on but it was it was was psychedelically strange that's cool yeah so we both did that for each other which is really interesting that we both had these weird independent experiences that really had nothing to do with reality but the but but our own our own stuff our own mine, shadow i feel like mine's pretty good in reality mine's grounded in reality well but the, the father projection stuff for instance is it's true that you lack that but our respective inner worlds and how they were built had aligned in a really fascinating way that resulted in a friendship and accelerated the friendship because of our own inner workings and their own our own projections and our own stories that we're telling ourselves that we fit into each other's story in such a way that things moved faster than I'm used to. Three years? Um, well, no, no, no. Once it, once it, but once we got to know each other, it moved very quickly. A year? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easy to be friends with you, man. Okay. I appreciate that. Say? A yeah. lot of people would not agree, but that's okay. Well, you're, not, you're not dramatic. You don't have big drama. I don't take a lot of drugs. I don't. Uh, you don't take drugs, or at least I don't have to hear about it. If you do, I don't know if you take drugs. Yeah, simple, kind, yeah. loyal. Yeah, yeah, uh, unsexy. That's what you want in a friend. It's uh, maybe that's part of what this podcast is about. Is how do you evaluate what a, f- a good friend is? A good friend is they show the fuck up. They respond to your texts. They're supportive. They're not necessarily a master of the universe, you know? Uh, you ever see those those photographs of those guys working construction in like the 1910s when they're having lunch and they're sitting out on those high beams and they're just chilling there like thousands of feet up, <laughs> but they know they're on solid, they're on a solid thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm just along for the ride. I'm just enjoying being the guest. I can feel it actually. You look really like kind of relieved. <laughs> you look so chill it's such a relief yeah let's talk about what we're making so sam 
what are we building out there in the, the dregs of Marin County? I would say, what have we built? What have we wrought? We built a video and audio recording studio. And it's absurd how fantastic it is. Yeah. In many ways, we have a stage for the performer. <laughs> we do. And there's something symbolic about that that's actually really important. It comes from watching my mom up on stage mm -hmm. from behind stage as a kid. There's right. a magic. There's a big difference between picking up a phone and staring at it and sharing what you're going to share to hopping up on an elevated platform yeah. and sharing the work that you've been working on. Yeah. I have a friend when he gives lectures, he, he puts his lecture on a music stand. And I'm like, no, a podium. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have great audio and video equipment. We can do our own shows from this place, but also we're opening it up and seeing what other people are going to do with it. I'm hoping regular people Families will record moments of their lives together. And I would love to see father and son in dialogue about what it's like for the dad to be the dad and the kid to be 12 and just capture moments in time and really beautiful audio and video. I'd love to see people work on passing on their, their knowledge to their friends and relatives and unborn, unknown descendants, and kind of like their last video message. Mm -hmm. I hope to meet other cool creators who are trying to share stuff. But the bottom line is, you know, if you go to a place like Apple, they'll have a room, right? Or Oracle will have a room that's got amazing sound and video for the company to use. But regular people who aren't huge celebrities don't have a place. So we have this place, it's called Square One Studio. You can go to our website, which is now active at www.square1.studio. And that'll work. So it's S-Q-U-A-R-E, the number one dot studio. Put that in Chrome or Safari or wherever, whatever internet you're on, it'll take you there. And I'm really excited to see storytellers, lecturers, regular people. We had our first live event a couple weeks ago. We had our first live event. 1,600 people watched live. Our client made a metric F-ton of money, which was good. <laughs> uh, we charged probably not enough, but that's okay. Yeah, it's pretty exciting to see it start to take shape. And it's very exciting to get to be part of other people's work. Like the work I'm doing is pretty spiritually and emotionally laborsome. I can't just crank it out mm -hmm. over and over because it takes time to mature and grow and there's a cost to it. So after a really good episode where I've been reading this person's books for two weeks and figuring out what their message and what their story means to me, and there's a emotional cost, you're like hungover. But so to get to help midwife other people's work and offer a service and get paid for it is a very cool mm -hmm. proposition. We have a studio in Marin County. You don't have to be in LA anymore. <laughs> And you need to stop referring to Marin as the dregs. It's it's literally one of the most beautiful places on earth with uh, some of the greatest people. Well, I did say on one of my episodes that leaving Square One Studio for the first time in my life, I felt good about having been in Marin County. Yeah, we're building culture in a place that I love. In a place with, back to a with, place without that I love. culture. But yes, uh, that's fantastic. So Sam and I are also going to be creating our own content, of course, while we're renting out the space to folks who are doing their live streams or their talks or their corporate videos, whatever they're doing. And one of them was called... Shitty Life Advice. And what is that? So on Instagram, every Monday, I used to ask for questions from the audience and I would give shitty life advice. And mm -hmm. the process was pretty simple. I would start with what is probably the thing that you should do. And then I'd find a funny way to write the exact opposite of that. 
And so if somebody said, hey, I'm, you know, I just had a miscarriage and I'm reeling from it and I don't, I can't go back to work and I'm just miserable. Mm-hmm. My shitty life advice would probably be something like, listen, nobody wants to hear about your dead baby. So the best, <laughs> the best thing that you can do <laughs> is to take all those uncomfortable feelings that none of us want to hear and just bury them deep down inside. Uh, because not even your therapist wants to hear about this right so that little gag was kind of out of when i turn on instagram maybe it's just because of who i follow there is so much really bad advice packaged up as really good advice Mm -hmm. and so i thought about what if you took kind of good advice and packaged it as bad advice and people liked it and it's incredibly helpful to have a actual therapist help in the process to counterbalance and say no no sam that's not what we do yeah (laughs) There'll be a live version uh, mm-hmm. that if you're a member or a patron, you'll get to see it live where we create the shitty life advice. So we'll get a question. We'll do that process. What would you recommend to a client like this? Okay. And then I'll take down notes. Okay. Okay. So do the exact opposite of that. And then deliver the grand shitty advice, which will be the worst possible <laughs> advice ever. But there's something <laughs> cathartic and fun and mm-hmm. to do it live with people, I think is going to be kind of some form of lamentations where you're kind of mocking the the tragedy and suffering of, mm-hmm. of life and yeah the irony of it all i'm looking forward to it can we talk about square one the meaning of that why square one studios i have called wherever i was working square one studio since it was a closet in my little place in the city the funny thing about my show is i've had like multiple nervous breakdowns during mm-hmm. it during one of those such breakdowns I needed to get an intro recorded and I just said, yeah, you know, I feel defeated. I mean, I forget exactly what I said, but I basically said I feel defeated and unsure and have no idea what I'm doing, but I've been at square one many times and there are people who would kill to be where I am right now on a blank slate. There's people with relationships and mortgages and all these things that they've piled on that they're drowning under and I'm on a blank slate. And if you're at square one, you're on sacred ground. That's kind of been a mantra of mine ever since. If you feel like defeated, like you got nothing, well, like that's really the place to build anything really cool is to have a blank canvas or to have a lot more room to maneuver. It's kind of like the same of why it's fun to watch a startup run circles around some a bigger company mm-hmm. because they're not tied down by all this stuff and they can move really quickly. Mm-hmm. As somebody with really severe mental illness stuff, I don't imagine there's going to be a point to where i just am perfectly well maybe there will be i don't know but learning to live with this stuff getting burnt to ashes and and then having to do the ash work and roll around the ashes and emerge from them getting really good at starting over getting really good at being at square one and treating square one as a really sacred place is uh, meaningful to me so that's why it's called square one studio excellent and you've also started over at Square One in lots of other ways. You were in recovery. You struggled with addiction. Yeah, I was a very ambitious young man with plans for his life who ended up getting a woman pregnant at 19, somebody who completely destroyed their life on drugs and alcohol a couple times, got sober at 22. I've had what I would call a grown-up heartbreak. I mean, I've had two of them. You know, it's not adolescent. It's like you really have committed to and plan on building the rest of your life with this person and then they're gone been suicidal over that so yeah I've, you know i've had lots of kind of square one moments and mm-hmm. i'm okay with that being where i live you know mm-hmm. once a year yeah <laughs> yeah once a year what do you mean once a year oh you know if i have my annual meltdown i see yeah has that is that coming do you think uh i think i, I think I, yeah i just had a pretty dark couple of months so 
I might be out of the woods for a while. Yeah, you seem good. One of the things you commented on was having people like Reese is, for those of you who are listening, the other uh, party of this, and I'll be interviewing him tomorrow, who is really stable. Sam's best friend and just the mm-hmm. coolest, stablest dude you'll ever meet. Certainly much more stable than me. Yeah. yeah. So part of my success is my therapist helped me plot this out. A stevious plan was to basically handcuff myself to someone stable. You know, we're working four days a week together. That can be tough for any friendship, but I have seen it pay off. And, you know, rarely are we both low at the same time. Mm-hmm. Tends to be that there's somebody to kind of carry that load the next 20 yards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when one of us falls. And most of the time it's me. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, he's my best friend. It's, it's been navigating a best friendship as an adult is always strange. And there's, there's lots to, figure out we've been friends i think almost 10 years you were working together at a um makerspace makerspace is that where you learned all of your cool skills well i learned a lot of my cool skills in college but i refined a lot of my skills at this place called tech shop i believe the first time i really talked to him i accused him of being a serial killer (laughs) was it a joke no you 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 literally accused reese of being a serial killer well i kind of thought something was up with him say more okay so i'm working at tech shop and there is some kind of serial killing happening where do you remember when the body parts were appearing in luggage outside the goodwill no okay that sounds like a dexter episode yeah so there was these body parts that were found in a suitcase outside of goodwill downtown san francisco and then reese shows up at tech shop (laughs) right so so like reese Reese is like the nicest guy in the world reese is new to town and coincidentally, when Reese is new to town, there's these body parts showing up in suitcases. And Reese is kind of like a Dexter-y kind of dressed really clean cut. And he'd always wear a very nicely pressed dress shirt, even mm-hmm. though that wasn't like fashionable. Yeah. So he, he like dressed like he was out of the 1940s and be like, hi, I'm Reese. Nice to meet you. You could tell that there was a little bit of a mask thing going on. Mm-hmm. And um, he was working at the front desk of this place I was working. I was running the education and I, I just kind of felt like something was off with him, you know. And so I, I went up to the desk, and there's no customers at the front desk. And I just kind of told him, like, "Hey, I don't know what kind of sick shit you do when you get home, but I know there's something wrong with you." <laughs> you said that to him. Yeah. You just said that to him. Yeah. Were you on drugs at the time? No, I'm. All, I've always been that forward. Wow. I'll always say what I'm thinking. And so I said, "Yeah, I think I know there's something wrong with you, and I'm gonna figure it out." And, and what did he uh, say? And Reese's the whole time he's. Uh, <laughs> the whole time he's typing on the computer looking at the screen listening to me but not looking at me and while he's typing he just looks over continues to type by the way he he doesn't need to look at the keyboard while he types he looks over looks me in the eyes smiles and he goes it takes one to know one (laughs) (laughs) and so but there was no sense of irony in the conversation like you were being dead serious and he was able to hold something like that you can always you can always uh did he say it with a twinkle yeah oh yeah yeah I was like, I, I think I speed walked away. That's hilarious. After that. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, no. Well, you know, when you make a strong comment like that, you can always kind of like laugh it off too. If, yeah. If it doesn't land, you can Did he think like, you were joking? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. I'm going to. But I, I said it in a way where it could, I could lean into it and be <laughs> serious or I could eject out of it if I needed to. But then his comment was so hilarious that it was like, fuck, he's right. I am a lunatic yeah yeah and then you guys were fast friends after that did you apologize for your your rudeness 
I don't know if he took it as rude. You'll have to ask him. Well, it, it is objectively rude. So how did you guys get past that? What was is the next? Is that rude? It is rude. To, to walk up to someone and, and basically tell them that they do sick shit when they leave here. Yeah, that's- That that's, you know something's wrong with them? Yeah, that's that's rude. I, I would say it's definitely rude. I mean, it's pretty- yeah, What if it's true? Well, that true things can be rude. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I can say, I mean, there's plenty of things about me that are true that if you said them, I'd think, God, oh, that's kind of rude. The lunatic in me saw the lunatic in him. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. He's weird, just in very different ways. Yeah. yeah. Reese is a profoundly interesting human who I have yet to get to know. Yeah. And so you guys became friends and things worked out and you. Yeah, we became friends. We were like inseparable, really. You know, we've had to navigate like how do you be best friends when, you know, he has a very serious relationship now with Ronnie. I've had serious relationships to go from like best bros to like best bros who now can't see each other as much. It's been all kinds of different twists and turns, but he is a fantastic friend. Drives me completely nuts sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I drive him nuts sometimes. You do. I'm I do? I'm so, I can see it. Have you, has he said anything? No, he hasn't okay. said anything. I can just see it. Like I was, the comment I made the other day was that you guys are like two, you're, you're both kind of freakish in your desire for precision. Yeah. And you're, you're, it's like watching two metronomes go to war. Yeah, <laughs> it's just weird. Like listening to Reese cuss and scream at his, at, at his devices is is interesting. And and you know, like I remember when he was making this line, he was like finding out where the center of the room was, and he says, "That's what did he call it? That's the one true center of the room." And he kept saying, "This is the one true center." And he was really fixated on this is the one true center of the room. It was important to him that this is the center of the fucking yes, Reese. That's the center. Awesome. But you would never fixate on something like that. You would fixate on. Are you kidding the, me? The, well, but you would fixate. Have you seen on, me measure? Yeah, but like, you. Would, I have calipers. But you, you, you I have you, a compass on on my. Okay, tattooed on me. Fair enough. But what I'm saying is that you you were more preoccupied, for instance, with the fact that he had marked the wall. That there was a now there's a mark on the wall. What the fuck, man. Yeah, because I could find true center without marking the wall. Oh Jesus Christ! Or I'd mark it in pencil. He did in fucking sharpie. You are so weird. And I'm going to be the one that has to paint up, paint over that. Certainly. Yeah, anyway, it's really interesting that the the two of you guys you have these similarities, but like I am nothing like either of you in that sense like i things objects i don't have any relationship with with things so it's going to be interesting watching us us three work together yeah so do you want to talk about the where do you see yourself in five years shit or do you want to not do that wow is that a question you ask your patients mm -hmm, all the time where do you see yourself in five years that's pretty tough i'm not good with living in the future mm -hmm. doesn't serve me very well because I have a great imagination. Mm -hmm. And I think in terms of creating, it's good. Because when I want to build something, I can see it in my mind in high definition. You can say, what's the radius on the corner of that table that you're gonna build? And I can tell you. Really? Well, yeah. That's crazy. It's similar to like a podcast episode. That's why it's so hard for me to get them out. So I've actually had to do a lot of work with therapists working on that kind of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Gustin, who has been a therapist and a purpose guide, He's a licensed MFT. He does work where he helps people find their purpose. I signed up for his purpose guiding, had a complete mental breakdown. He basically took the remaining courses of the purpose guiding, just be like, let's just call this retainer and I'll just see you as a therapist. And we'll just, he said something that really has stuck with me, which is that when you get inspiration and you can see that vision in high def, that's actually in a different language. That's in the language of like the muse, right? Like the, the creative force of the universe. Interesting. That's in creative language. Whenever you're translating, one of the first things you have to realize is that two languages don't share the same words. So if you're translating from Sanskrit 
into English, there are going to be words in Sanskrit and words in English that neither of the languages have. So you have to make concessions. And so the idea is that these creative visions that you have, they're sort of like blueprints, but they're not. It's more like you're in the process of translating into the real world. Mm-hmm. Your job isn't to build it one for one exactly how you see it. Your job is to do your best translating it because you can see exactly how it's made, how it should look, sound, feel, be, and you could apply that to yourself as well. But the imaginal realm, mm-hmm. as he called it, and the physical realm are different places. Mm-hmm. And so it's just trying to honor the source material, but not have it come out exactly like that. So mm-hmm. uh, I've gotten into a lot of trouble living in the future. I've had relationships where I had our whole future mapped out and mm-hmm. like what our life would be like and how it would be and where we would be in five years and where we would be in 10 years and what we would look like as an old couple. And then when that doesn't tend to be, then you're really fucked because not only are you hurting in the present, but you have now lost your future, mm. right? So anyone in extreme heartbreak, that's a lot of the time what they're grieving. Mm-hmm. They're not just grieving the loss of their partner. They're mm-hmm. grieving the loss of their future. They're, f- they're now futureless because right. they've mapped it all out. And now what they have planned and what is before them are so incongruous that they have to rewrite the reality. Wow. So I'm not quite fond of looking five years from now. I can tell you what I would like to be five years from now is kinder, sweeter, and more patient and understanding of the people around me, of my son, of Reese, of Georgie, if uh, you know we end up getting married, or s- still together, of you, my mom. I would like to grow in that direction and just be like, Humans often disappoint me because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm so particular, but I would like to have grown over the next five years to be kinder and more patient. Mm-hmm. I'd love to make more money, if, if I'm honest. Since starting the podcast, I've always been pretty close to just barely making it. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times, you know, a little bit more comfortable, but I'd like to be a little bit more adult with my finances, much safer, because I think that would alleviate some of my mental illness. Mm-hmm. To be a little bit safer. Sure. You know, padding. I think they say at about the, this is probably out of date now, but I read a study that at about the $70,000 mark, you start to see a lot of mental illness go away. Really? Yeah. Like there's a lot of what gets classified as like mental illness. Right. And it's just like stress, financial insecurity, yeah. stress. Makes sense. Uh, if you're one bill away from getting wiped out, that's, you're not living on the same plane. So, and then what you'll see. Happiness kind of goes up, 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 up till this number, mm-hmm. and then it stops. Not completely, but like it changes course after a certain level. So oh. it starts to really flatten out. So like once you're like at two hundred thousand or something like that a year, you're saying. Yeah. So like you know, if you make let's say seventy to one hundred and forty, double, you're not going to be double as happy and double as right secure. Yeah, I had a wealthy guy tell me once that uh, once you get a roof over your head and food on your table, after that it's all diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds true. Uh, so I'd like to be a little bit more adult with my finances, mm-hmm. um, do a better job charging for my work. Yeah. And I'd like, you know, I think the same thing a lot of us are looking for. I'd like meaningful friendships, people to love and share my love with, both platonic and romantic and familial. I would like to feel like I'm honoring my creative spirit, the work that my heart is telling me to make, that I actually make it, even though. I am perfectionist and it's very easy to find reasons not to make it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's all I can say about the, the next five years. That's fantastic. I think that's probably good. What do you think? 
Yeah, I think you have a lot of editing ahead of you. I think I do not. I think you are wrong. Okay. You didn't um very much. Did I not? No. Let, let me ask you this. You're, you're such a perfectionist. I, I'm listening to this episode and I'm thinking, wow, that flowed really well. I didn't. I don't need to move any of those conversations around. There might be a little bit of tightening, but to me, it sounded like a very cohesive discussion. What do you think? Well, maybe I'm just charming. And mm. once you replay it, you'll realize that I have put you under some kind of hypnotic charm and not, you have not realized how disjointed or ridiculous mm. i sounded but it mm. just felt good in the moment ah i see have you ever had, had that happen before no okay i've had that happen a <laughs> lot in a lot of conversations we're like wow that went great they talk so smoothly then you go to edit it and they didn't they just had that gift mm. maybe i don't know we'll see i like editing i think it's fun that's great it gets me i get a little a little endorphin hit every time i edit something uh, i wish i got that now my question to you is how many patients walk off with these things so for those of you listening at home, Sam is holding one of my metallic spinners. A very nice fidget spinner. Yeah, it's probably, it was like a $70 thing. You can't buy it anymore. They uh, went out of business? No, they just, they get bought up and they're handmade and they're hard to find and they're not popular anymore and you just can't find them. But I always make sure, I've got three of them, and if one of them leaves, I feel incomplete. So I would not allow a patient to walk off with one of those. How do you like my office? Hey, that's your office, isn't it? No, this is my office. This is your office? That's where my pet snake lives. That's Sophia's domain. It's her lair. Sophia's got it good. All right, man. I think we're done. All right, man. Sam Lamott, thank you so much. I will that see was... you soon for our next business meeting. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, if you want to be a guest on the show or if you want to contact me, my email is benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N-R-U-S-S-A-C-K at gmail.com. And my website, benjaminrusick.com. If you have any more questions, just check out some of the links in the program notes. And remember, if you find that your plate is full, well, get yourself a bigger plate. And I'm going to explain this again because people ask, what does it mean? It means basically that if your plate is full, if there's a lot going on in your life and you're overwhelmed, Sometimes you need to rest, relax, and recoup, and increase your bandwidth so that you can hold more. Because I drop stuff a lot. You know, you start losing sleep, you start losing friends. Because you're burnt out, you need to rest so you can hold those friends and hold all those extra tasks. All right, take care.